live now. Jeremy Lee in the building and every guest that you ever needed. Sports cards after hours keep the hobby heated. Updates hobby talk like you've never seen it. Sports cards live and nothing could ever beat it. Sports cards is a lifestyle. Sports cards and we live now. Welcome to another episode of Sports Cards Live with your host, Jeremy Lee. All right, everybody, and welcome to episode number 168 of Sports Cards Live. It is Saturday night, January the 14th, 2023, and my name is Jeremy Lee. I want to thank Alex Pashan, Sports Card Stallion, for joining us last week and sharing so many great pieces of advice on navigating the counterfeit and fraudulent cards that are out there in our hobby. You can check that episode out on this YouTube channel. And really, I got to tell you, a lot of great advice in there. So be sure you do. want to ask you to join the close to one quarter million people who have already downloaded the Center Stage app across both iOS and Android for quick comps when you're at a card show or to help you price your cards for sale on any platform and check out their new collections and albums features as well. The app is continuously improving. They just released a big update to allow collectors to share albums, hyperlinking so that they can share with on Instagram, Hangouts, Facebook, and more. Please join me in supporting the great team and the innovation that they are undertaking. Also check out Whatnot app for auctions, group breaks, buy it now, it's hosted around the clock by some of the most entertaining breakers in the hobby. Leighton Sheldon will be joining us today for Vintage Update, which is going to be right on topic. So excited to have him join. I also want to thank Ken Cairns. Ken is the Sports Card Lessons podcast. He had me uh, yesterday or the day before we recorded the podcast, and he informed me that that will be dropping on his podcast channel, again, Sports Card Lessons, this coming Thursday. The next episode of Collectible Live will not be tomorrow. It will be Tuesday. At 7 o'clock Eastern, our guest will be C- the, the CEO of Collectible, Ezra Levine, and we will be talking about the bids wanted in competition format that they've just released. They've also gone international, so please join me on Tuesday when Ezra will also be joining us. I, as always, want to thank you. I am grateful for everybody who listens, watches, subscribes, and is just here asking questions in the chat every single week. Thank you, everybody, for joining. If you are not yet subscribed to the channel, please take a moment and do so. I would appreciate it as always. Let's get to tonight's guest. I don't have I don't have a real big intro for him because our original guest tonight wasn't able to make it last minute. So I called in Ralph. Ralph's going to join us tonight. And we're just going to have a, a relaxed conversation about hockey vintage, modern cards, and uh, just some trends that we're seeing, that sort of thing. So Kind of an open mic, but we will we'll, we'll, we'll stay on a bit of a topic, but we'll see how it goes. We'll see what you guys all bring. Let's bring him out. Ralph, Ralph, what's going on, buddy? Welcome. Welcome back to the show. I think this is your first time on it solo. You've been on some group uh, group episodes we've had, but uh, it's good to have you by yourself. Where did your hair go? It just disappeared in a matter of a few hours, I guess. <laughs> so the picture I have of you that I've used a couple of times, uh, you have hair here you're shaven, uh, pretty much like me. But in any event, man, it's nice to have it's nice to have you. We go we go back, you and I, just knowing each other from the expo and hanging out, and uh, we we keep in touch all the time. So uh, it's it's good to have you on a night where I needed to find a fill in. And um, thank you for making yourself available. And thanks to your wife and your kids for allowing you to to come join us today. No worries. Thanks for having me. 
Yeah, you're right. You're welcome. You're very welcome. Let's say hello. We got we got Jake Dahl in the house. As always, Jake, good to see you. Frank, what is happening? Hope you guys are having a great week or had a great week. Lapper, what's going on, pal? The Loud Collector. Happy Saturday night to you. Vintage Card Collector. I think tonight will be, I mean, Vintage Card Collector is exactly what I want to be talking about tonight. So please feel free to, you know, comments, advice, questions. I mean, it's not like we have, it's not like I or Ralph or anybody on on any YouTube channel or any podcast has all the answers. You guys have all the answers. So if you have any answers, you have any comments, you want to put out some advice, some suggestions, um, any tidbits of experience you have, please share. Nick Martelli, good to see you. Good evening. And we have a an anonymous Facebook user. It's Eli. Eli, good to see you. Who is Ralph? Ralph is also known as Stamatis. Well, I think your real name is Stamatis, right? Yeah, that's my real name. That's my first name. His name is Stamatis, but yeah. but you go by Ralph. I we a lot of people in the hobby just call you Stammer. That's what I know. That's how I know you. But uh, for now, for the for the for the title of this episode, we have you as Ralph JP Brabant. Good to see you. Good evening. Saturday nights have changed, and uh, JP, good to well, just good to see you again. So, what do you want to talk about, Ralph? Like, let's talk about let's talk about some some vintage hockey cards, because when we were chatting earlier, I said like, well, what do you think we could talk about tonight? And you said, well, you know, I'm noticing some stuff about vintage cards lately. And so why don't you just share your thoughts, what you've been seeing, uh, you know, and of course we all have our own perception We all, because we all see what we see. No one's going to see the exact same thing out there. So your perspective might, it it might reflect other people's perspectives. It might be completely, some people might think it's off the wall. Just depends what everybody is seeing and what we're all watching on various marketplaces, various cards. So with that context set, why don't you um, kind of share your thoughts that you've been having on the vintage side of things? Yeah, so the vintage side of things, I always found it very interesting on the whole layout since they did come at a age of time where no one really took care of their cards. So like me going to the expos and seeing... Uh, the old timers at their booths and just see it laid over the, the sheet of plastic, as we say. Uh, when you see a rod there, especially like from my time, you won't, you wouldn't have seen uh, those type of cards. So it's very hard for you to, even though they would have genuine cards there, but if you were to look, let's say with the loop or so forth, you wouldn't really know the difference in color or saturation or how like the the texture of the cardboard is supposed to feel right so you're kind of forced into a section where you have to buy a graded card per se as per like you jeremy you've probably stumbled upon a few of those growing up so you have an idea what you're looking for when you're when you're going around those boots right yeah. So, so if I, if I understand what you're saying, you're basically, you're basically saying that if you weren't somebody who maybe grew up opening up packs of cards in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, you know, I, I can really personally only speak. I think I opened my first pack of cards in like 81 or something like that. So I can't really speak to what the cards felt like before that, even though they were similar, but if you didn't open your first pack of cards until the early nineties, when they were using different, different card stocks, you know, upper deck came out and all of a sudden the card stock went from like pretty cheap paper to higher quality cardboard or paper. So 
are, is what you're saying that if you are a younger person or you just didn't get into cards until say the nineties and you want to go shopping and you want to add vintage cards to your collection, you almost are forced or you almost need to rely on buying a graded card so that you know, you're getting something authentic and not only authentic, but also, you know, the way the card is supposed to look because some card, I mean, there's cards out there that, that a certain printing plate didn't even come down on, on, on the, on the canvas during the process. I, you know, um, I know there's a George Mikan 48 Bowman basketball card where there's a whole bunch out there that don't have that one printing plate, uh, whatever the red is, the red plate never, the magenta plate never came down. So is that kind of what you're getting at that if you, that, that you need to rely on a graded card now to make sure that you, you're going to get an authentic card that has all the features that you'd want. Well, like, you just be like rest assured, like uh, on like condition wise of of what you're really getting, but like for instance, let's just say like I do have like I do have a few like vintage cards in my collection. I don't have many. I have probably like probably five, and um, like just having those in my hand, you have a good idea. And I had to break one out of the the slab there because like I'm not gonna I'll be frank when I when I get close to those boots, I get a kind of a little skeptical to even want to ask to uh touch some of those cards there but i uh i i kind of want to like educate myself as i as i go along to uh to to make those hurdles to uh to make those moves to make those moves on the raw situation than being forced so graded, right so so basically you bought you had you had a graded vintage card you broke it out of the slab just so you could study it is That's, that what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. So that when you go to the card show and you're you're looking at raw vintage cards, you can be more confident that you're buying something that is number one authentic by the by the way it looks, the way it feels, you know, the way it smells. The last episode of, of this show last week uh, with Alex Pashan, he talked about how you can actually smell a card, and I've heard this before, but he mentioned that it, it works. It cards will have a certain smell to them, and that's one way to get comfortable that it's an authentic, genuine specimen so um okay so that's interesting what what are you what are you seeing in terms of if you're starting to get into some vintage wh- how are you finding their values and their prices and i'm i'm assuming that we're talking hockey exclusively here but what uh how, how do you find the pricing the value to be on vintage cards versus the modern cards i'd say for vintage for how how it is a lot a lot of the markets to me personally, I think I think they are kind of undervalued per se, versus like a lot of modern stuff. There's just so much, so much variety, and and so many like rookie parallels you can buy. Like I get it, you got your you got your future watches and so forth, but I'm not classifying the the past auto categories, right? If you just have like just let's say the standard like rookie auto, let's just say, right? Because like Young Gun, I I would never classify it into that category. I would never classify it together with the uh, with the vintage label. Let's just say like a Future Watch Auto, right? I'd say Future Watch Auto versus a which is a vintage um, uh, rookie card. Let's just say like the Terry Sawchuk, the the Terry Sawchuk rookie card. You could probably get one that's like maybe a, a four or a five PSA or like four grand right cheaper. well way cheaper than that actually you can probably get that for under a thousand dollars 
for a, oh, a yeah? four or five. I would, I would think, I, I would think, I mean, that, that's, uh, there's not going to be that expensive for a Sacha. Gordy Howe is, is way up there in mm-hmm. that, as far as that goes. But I'm, I want to, I want to kind of get a better understanding of what you're saying in terms of, cause you're comparing a vintage rookie. So for me, I've always thought like the same, I, I try to make these same connections that you're getting at. Like if I'm a rookie card collector and I've been a rookie card collector my whole life and that's all I collect once, once the rookie, what once, for hockey, once Upper Deck started putting out multiple sets a year, once they, it wasn't only Upper Deck Series 1 and Series 2 or just the flagship brand, all of a sudden, we as collectors had all these other choices. If you only wanted one card per player, you had all these new choices of cards you could buy. And so the Young Guns is kind of, to me, that for me actually is the continuation of the of of all the rookie cards from from OPG and Thompson Parkers that came before it because it's a simple card it's just a card there are no bells and whistles like autographs memorabilia and that sort of thing so that's how i look at it if i only wanted to collect if i was only a rookie card collector but doesn't mean that i wouldn't also wouldn't mean doesn't mean that i wouldn't also start collecting um a future watch auto a, a rookie patch auto, whether it's from Ultimate or the Cup or SP Game Used or whatever Ice, whatever sets they come from. So it's interesting. Like for you yourself, now you're going the other way though. You're you're a modern guy who's looking back, so you don't have any choices. It's like if I want a Terry Sawchuk rookie, which Richard does does advise us here that a PSA four is oh. around two thousand dollars Canadian. So I guess I was a little, uh, maybe a lot. Uh, undervaluing that card. So thank you, Rich. And you were probably closer than I was. Actually, we were probably equidistant away. But like for for you to go back, you don't have any choices. Like you're you have to buy the one or you have one or two choices for anybody's rookie card that came before 1989. Right? I mean, up until 8990 Opeachy with the Joe Sackick rookie, the Brian Leach, the Theron Flurry, you know, these guys, there's no no options. It's tops or Opeachy. Sometimes it's only Opeachy. Then the further you before 19 at 1967 and back, you only have tops and you have some Parkers, but you don't have Parkers and tops. It's one or the other because Parkers had the Canadian teams and tops had the American teams. So uh, when they were at the same time. So um, but 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 that's that's easy because you don't have any options. But if you're coming from the past and you're moving forward. What do you think like? For you, and you know, you're a guy who likes your auto patches for modern cards. You like a nice card with a nice autograph, a nice patch. So I would expect that your rookie cards of today. Well, let me ask you this: Do you collect modern day rookie cards? Uh, I do, but just uh, just mostly like uh, just like Red Wing players. Those are the only uh, rookie cards that I chase. And so, what what is your what is your favorite rookie card of a player right now? From what set? Oh, cup. Cup. I love, yeah. I love. I love cup. Cup's my favorite. Ult- ultimate is also. I dig ultimate. I love the design. Um. It's um. Even the uh, the future watches. They're they're very nice too. But when they, I think that when they do the the variants, like the two different, they they do the two different uh, photo shoots, right? Of the future watch designs right uh for doing the, that the future watch auto 
Yeah. You can watch auto, as far as I know, just one image per player one, per uh, year. Okay. Yeah. 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 That definitely cup hands down. Cup hands down. Yeah. So, so you made the comment before that you're trying to find like the equivalent to the old, to the vintage rookie card or the vintage card. And you had mentioned, you know, you, you you're kind of going to go for an auto patch, but then I came out and I said, well, I, I kind of compare the to me, the young gun is that continuation because it's a base card. A young gun is really just a simple base card that just doesn't fall as often as a regular base card, but it's in the base set. It's again, no bells and whistles. So, you know, if, if I'm, if it, the funny thing is I went through this, I went through this with personal experience when, you know, collected all the rookie cards up to the end of the eighties, the nineties came around and it was, you know, it didn't get that different until you saw like, up like the metal set came FLIR metal came out and what whatever year was that 94 95 you had upper deck came out with the sp set that has the droma ginla rookie and the and the zidane ochera rookie year back to back the bertuzzi rookie was a big card back then and all of a sudden you had some foil action and, and some some stuff like that but until it and, until you had that first autograph rookie card which was i believe Premier, in 2000 uh premiere yeah. with the Zetterberg and Zetterberg I think well Zetterberg was the year after Zetterberg oh, was the yeah. first year with our with rookie patch autos uh-huh. in upper deck premiere right it was called premiere yeah 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 but premiere before, yeah. but before that the year before there was the there were a few there were like two or three autograph rookies in the set the big one was Ilya Kovalchuk it's also the year of Pavel Datsuk's rookie but he his card wasn't autographed because he he wasn't as as well known. Kovalchuk was was all the rage back then. Um, imagine and his cards now. I mean his his premier rookie numbered out of I think it's one ninety nine. I believe it's a beautiful card. And that card was I don't remember exactly, but it was probably selling for five, north of five hundred dollars. Now you can probably pick it up for like a hundred dollars or less. He's kind of not on the hobby radar anymore. So ima- imagine if he came out today all the money people would be pouring into him only for him to fade away eventually. But that's, uh, that's what happens in the hobby, right? Uh, let's take a minute, say hello. So stammer much easier. Yes. Stammer is much easier. Uh, collector's dream. What's happening. Nick Martelli says, my question for vintage is at what year do we consider it vintage? Is it pre 87 or is it even earlier? So I'm going to, I mean, do you have a thought on, I mean, you're not a vintage guy. So what, what what is your what is your thought on it as a guy who's starting to get into it? I'd say before eighty seven for sure. Before eighty seven, yeah, man. Just just like when I had my first uh, the first rookie uh, vintage card I owned was a uh, was a Del Vecchio fifty two Parky, and uh, yeah, when I had that, just the feeling of like well, that, that's the card that I. Uh, that I broke open from the slab to uh, to dissect it, and uh, just like just feeling it, and just like the energy, like getting from the card, it was just unmatched. It was just, it was just, I couldn't explain it. It's almost like the like it's it's sixty seventy year history just kind of like went through you as you as you touched it for the first time because these cards do have histories that we that are just mysteries forever. But I think that's a really cool thing. My answer is, is an unpopular one to this. To me, to me, and I see Layton's just joined us, and I want to get his thoughts on this, and I'm sure his thought will be much different than mine. But my, I think of, and here we are in 2023, right? Time has gone by. To me, vintage ended 
with the 1989 hockey set. Now, I know that it's some people consider it modern. Some people say vintage ends at 72 or 71, right? Or maybe some people would say when OPG started making hockey cards themselves in 1968 or 75 baseballs the last year of vintage. Every lots of people have differing opinions, but for me, it comes down to the way they were the way they were produced, the way they were packaged, and the wrappers. They came with gum. As soon as '89 Upper Deck Baseball came out, no gum. That was revolutionary for baseball cards. No gum was revolutionary, right? So, like, so to me, I consider vintage to be up until the end of the '80s. And then you get into whatever the junk wax era and, and so forth. But again, just just my thoughts. Um, let's uh, let's bring Leighton on and get his thoughts on this. Leighton, how are you on this fine Saturday? Oh, great! Thanks. How are you, gentlemen? Good. This is Ralph. Ralph, meet Leighton. Leighton, please meet Ralph. Hey, Ralph. Nice to meet you. So, Leighton, nice we're, we're answering the question that uh, that Nick Martelli put on the screen here is when do you consider vintage to end? Is it pre-87 or even earlier? You know, I think for me personally, and I'm not putting this out there as, as the way because I know there's lots of opinions, but for me, vintage ended when they took gum out of when they stopped putting gum into cards. What do you what are you and you are, I mean, you're a vintage expert. You make your living from vintage cards with your just collect store, your just collect brand. You've got your vintage breaks brand and breaking business. But what do you consider to be the end of vintage? Well, before I answer that, Jeremy, it seems to me that you have a serious, like either sweet tooth or you're very averse to gum because of something about the lack of the gum for you like broke everything. Well, it's it's not just the lack of the gum. It's also, I mean, that's a good, and and I do have a sweet tooth. I'm let it be known. But it's not just the lack of the gum. It's the change of the of the cardstock. It's the it's the it's the elimination of wax, and we still call it wax today. But you know, sometimes sometimes tops will put out a product. Maybe I don't know if they ever do it anymore with wax, or they have this new wrapper that almost looks like wax, but. They got rid of wax wrappers. They got rid of the gum. They got rid of that, the, like top. It's now called Tops Heritage, where they use that old card stock. They don't use the card stock. The card stock was pretty consistent through the '60s, '70s, right up until the end of the '80s. So that's it's not it, it's it's the gum, but it's a few other things as well. Sure. Well, I appreciate you clarifying once again. I was just having some fun, but I, I like I like listening to you guys, and I kind of joined in as you gentlemen were discussing this. Um, and I'm curious what you think, Ralph, but for me, I actually, I made a note as you were talking, I actually think it depends on the sport. So for example, and once again, I feel like both of you know far more about hockey than I do. So believe me, uh, this is just, you know, one layman's opinion, but from what I remember, not only collecting hockey, you know, as a kid, but also the way that I look at it now, cause I heard you mention 1989 from what my limited knowledge is about hockey from that era 1988 tops and opichi are legitimate like i'm not saying you should buy them for investment but there's great players in there they didn't make a ton of it whereas for example in 1989 they made the same style they had packs they had gum meaning tops and opichi hockey and yet and no offense to joe sackick and brian leach and you know i grew up a ranger fan and those rookies are in 89 but like the, there's night and day difference to me between 88 and 89 in my mind for hockey. But my point is, I don't know. And I didn't, I didn't cycle through this in my brain for each sport, but I don't know if it's the same for each sport. 
Yeah, that, I think that's a really good point. Um, and I appreciate you 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 considering the distinction between 88 and 89, because I agree, 89, Opeachy is the only year where we had Opeachy and Tops, where Opeachy is, I believe, more Perfect. valuable, more desirable, because, sorry, Tops is more valuable, more In desirable, yeah. because Opeachy produced all these vending cases, and they Cut just cases. flooded, Absolutely. I mean, Yep. It, it's it's almost as if it was pro set back in the day. They made they made so much of it. So I think that that 89, 90 year, it's almost like a bridge year between vint for me, between vintage and, and whatever comes next, modern, uh, maybe a hybrid of the two. So I res- I hear what you're saying. I agree with that. I think baseball, you know, 89 upper deck came out. So does that mean that it's 88 for baseball? If we're using those criteria that I laid out earlier, how I look at it, but basketball is, I think, kind of a, a an awkward one because with basketball, there were no cards between 81 and 80. Aside from Star, which is a whole sort of other thing, there were no cards between 81 and 86. So you have that five-year gap with no officially, you know, massly distributed cards. So is can you consider up to 81 for basketball to be vintage and then 86 becomes modern with the Fleer in the Fleer era? which then went to the upper deck era. And then football would be similar to baseball, more similar to baseball and hockey because you always had those cards. And then, you know, upper deck did baseball in 89 only. And then in 90, they did hockey and they did football, I believe, in, in football, 90, 91. Football 91. Football 91 football. When did bat? When was the first basketball? The Dikembe 91. Mutombo. 91. 91. Yeah. The Mutombo, the Larry Johnson. Remember sure. cracking packs of that, looking yeah. for those two cards? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, oh, of course. <laughs> I bet people in the chat can uh, can re- can reminisce about that too. Uh, I want to know first of all, Leighton, how much time do you have to spend with us tonight? Like, are you, uh, you know, I have a few minutes. Um, you know, I can spend a few more minutes than usual, but I have my son waiting in the other room to finish our nighttime routine. Um, okay, but he's in, he's in he's in good hands, so we have we definitely have a few minutes. So I appreciate. All right, that. cool. Um, I wanted to I wanted to ask you just while we have you for a limited time. You know, you are out there. You consider yourself a professional treasure hunter. And for anyone who hasn't seen Leighton, he's been on coming on the show now for a couple months. And uh, he has his own podcast, Trading Card Therapy. You can see it on the ticker right now. And he describes himself as a professional treasure hunter, cardboard treasure hunter, for the most part, cardboard treasure hunter, which I love. When you're out there, Leighton, and you live in you live in like northeastern United States, you're in the, the Jersey area. What to what extent like you're obviously you're seeing a ton of baseball. I'm I'm guessing. Can you can you explain to us break down the pers- the, the break down the pie? How much is baseball, football, basketball, hockey that you that you come across? Sure. So I would say, as far as fresh collections, it's primarily baseball. Uh, football, I would say, is probably second. Basketball, though, I guess could be close to second. You know, I'd really have to look at the numbers. I feel like basketball and football are similar. Hockey is definitely a distant fourth. And, you know, I want to preface this with, because I know there's a lot of talk, and rightfully so, in the hobby about, you know, people talking about investment. And so I want to make it clear, out of everything I personally own and professionally own, the percentage of hockey that I own, and I'm not saying it's proudly, I love hockey, is very small. So, you know, I don't own a lot of hockey, but, and I had a feeling you were going to, you're going to ask something like this on the show tonight. What I think so interesting is if you believe, right, in hockey 
as not going to be going anywhere kind of sport. I'll be honest. I don't know enough about it. I know much more, much more well-versed in baseball, basketball, football, meaning the history of the game as well as the current game. But out of the four majors, including hockey, I'm definitely have a deficit in hockey. And so if I am offending anyone who's watching tonight who's a hockey diehard, I apologize because I don't want hockey to go anywhere. But this is what I'm getting to. And this is how I'm going to tie it back to your question. You're asking about what I'm seeing. To me, if I'm a hockey fan, and forget about if I'm a investor, I don't really care. But if I'm a collector, and let's be honest, right? If you're a collector, you're still hoping your stuff doesn't go to zero or down. And if it stays the same, great. And if it happens to go up, it's a double, you know, thank you. Um, and so my point is, out of the four majors, if you believe hockey will be here, you know, my son Crosby's in the other room, he's eight. So in 50 years, he'll be 58. In 50 years, God willing, I'll be here, but I'd be very old, okay? Um, and so the point being is that if you believe hockey will be here, it is staggering to me that the lack of fresh hockey cards I see has actually made me reinvigorated that as I go more so looking in auctions where I see a lot of fresh stuff, Ralph, um, card shows, Jeremy, where I just, you know, like, especially if it's a, one I don't get to go to, let's say every month or two months. Point being is that for the long term, I'm curious to what you guys think. If you believe, when I say you guys, not just you and, and um, Ralph, but also the audience, if you believe hockey is going to be here in 50 years, which is five decades, so don't take that lightly, right? There's sports coming out of the woodwork. I just bought my first pickleball paddle today, and, and I, I play tennis, and I don't, you know, I'm not sliding pickleball, but point being is like, you know, the world's changing. Yeah. And so to get back to center, it's mind-boggling to me the low amount of hockey cards I see cycle through my hands that are fresh. Right. So I'm not going and rebuying like a Gretzky eight, trying to flip it and make 10 percent. I think that's fine, too. I just don't generally do that as much. Um, I think hockey cards represent a tremendous, at the very least, experience to go after and collect because you're kind of like, you know, unless you live in Canada, you're kind of like, you know, the different kind of you know person down here. Like if you show up like my buddy, Justin, shout out to him. He's a New Jersey uh, serious hockey card collector. He always asked me, Leighton, should I go to Philly? I'm like, well, you can go. There's not a lot of hockey. And so I just kind of like that, like the thrill of the chase as a hockey collector and not even really talking as an investor, but that's my long way of saying I don't see a lot of hockey at all. And if you're bullish on the sport itself and you happen to have a few shekels that you're thinking about collecting, investing, whatever, you know, your, your deal is, then really just figure out who the goat or goats are for you. And I think that, you know, Forget about even buying rookies because a lot of those have gone up. But I made a note to myself, hockey is so scarce that like buying a third year Bobby Hull PSA 8. So what is that, a 60 tops? I think someone gifted that to me. Like, I don't know what the current price is, but I know what it was not that long ago. It's like a $400 card. Do you know if that was Willie Mays? Look up what a 60 tops Willie Mays PSA 8 goes for, which, by the way, is far more plentiful. And I'm not suggesting I'm comparing Willie Mays to Bobby Hull. Because that's not what I'm doing, although it may actually be a very relevant comparison. It's, it's not a terrible comparison. Yeah, but this is my point. And this is what I think is super cool about, like, if we're getting back and we're nerding out about collecting. Because, like, to me, I started collecting hockey when I was really young because I remember going to the Freehold Raceway Mall in New Jersey. And, like, people were like, yo, that guy Larry has Opeachy hockey. 
I'm like, OPG hockey? By the way, I'm not talking like 60s OPG. It was 80s OPG. But, you know, no one really had it. The card stores didn't have it. Most of the card stores didn't have it. And so all in all, um, I don't see a lot of hockey cards that are fresh. I'm sure that if I was up in Canada or like my friend Mark Utoa Classic Auctions, he gets a lot of nice, fresh hockey cards for his auction. Um, you know, they're out there and they're out there at the expo. But, um, you know, I don't see a lot of them personally come in through through fresh collections and through my treasure hunting. I wish I did. I think yeah, they're great. No, it's, it's, it's interesting. And it's uh, in a way I find it kind of sad, but in a way I kind of, I find it like just it is what it is. And uh, that's the situation. I think you're probably one of the better guys to actually you know, just based on your experience to share the situation. What is the landscape like on vintage hockey in, in at least Northeastern U.S.? And really, there should be more hockey in the Northeastern U.S. than anywhere else in the United States. So if you're not seeing a lot of fresh collections, maybe maybe one of the reasons you're not is because the people that do have those cards are shipping them up to Canada. Because all the, you know, Canada, when you make the comment like, Will hockey be here in 50 years? And, you know, the answer is, is one I'm 100% certain it will because that's like, you know, at least it's it's almost like saying, will baseball be here in 100 years? In 50, which actually, with the excitement of base, the lack of, of excitement of the sport, baseball Never will know. go away sooner I than doubt hockey. it. Listen, I agree that I think all four, four majors will easily be here. They might be in a different version, different form. They might have 78 teams by then, right? You know, yeah. like two two teams per state. I have no idea. Um but uh, it is it is fun to discuss. I'm curious, Ralph, you know, are you a collector um, of vintage hockey? And if so, how long have you been collecting for? Yeah, so not a collector of, uh, of vintage hockey, mostly uh, modern, modern. I started uh, I started collecting in the in the late 90s, mostly. So I collected all Yager inserts and as as yeah. time and then as time went on, um, once I saw my first uh, Patch Auto, the Zetterberg uh, uh, from Premier. Then uh, I'm like, I was very impressed seeing my first Patch Auto. So, so then as uh, time went by, then I laid my eyes on my uh, my first Yager Patch Auto card from Cup. And then ever since then, no word of a lie, I depleted my whole stash of of Yager inserts, and I went the uh, I went the Yager way, all Yager, Patch Auto, all the way. And now yeah. you, now I mean, I, I know Ralph's collection a bit, but you, 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 you branch out. You collect several players now. Yeah. Ralph's an auto patch guy, Layton, who's starting to to become more curious about vintage. He bought okay. his first. He bought a '51 Del Vecchio Parkhurst rookie, and sure. in a in a PSA slab, and he broke it out so he could analyze it and get to you know learn about it, which I think is very. All right, Ralph, tough. do me a favor. Next time you're gonna do that. Have like you know, like people have like those necklaces. If you fall and you can't get up, like you press it. I'm gonna start a new one tonight for cards. If you are unsure, press this. You'll call someone in the card industry who will help you not to crack it. Okay. <laughs> there's there's no laughing. option to it. wasn't it, it wasn't a high grade, so I didn't feel so bad, right? Okay. But um, but yeah, very um, very interested in the vintage market. It has um, it has a lot of potential, which I think uh, a lot of people do not see. Um, but don't get me wrong, modern still has a lot of potential. There's a lot of uh, unseen uh, uh, gems out there that a lot of people are not understanding. I'm I'm a key believer in um, in the history iconic of the card per se, and the moment that it has to bring. So 
you have that specific card and it's pictured a specific way and it's got a specific auto, even like a standalone auto. Like, perfect example, I, I picked up a card uh, from a couple of renditions. It was uh, Steve Eiserman and Scotty Bowman dual autograph on a gold ink. And it was just like commemorating the day that they won the cup. And it was just like, I've never seen such a card. And just like, it just hit me as like, I have to have this card. You know what I mean? So it's like, it builds that connection and it just makes this like the hobby strive. Right. But like what I, what I wanted to get around to is, um, as you were saying earlier regarding, um, like down in the States, how you guys focus mostly on baseball and, uh, and football there. So that I could totally agree on. Cause I went to the Chicago national and that's all I saw there. All I saw there was, <laughs> all I saw was, don't get me wrong. I collect basketball too. I collect my fair share of basketball cards, but yeah, I saw basketball, ton of football, ton of baseball. Didn't know what I was looking at. Like all I know is like Ken Griffey jr. That's my, that's my go-to guy in baseball, but beautiful stuff, like beautiful stuff, hands down and tons, but I don't understand. Like you guys have so, so many hockey teams down there. Are you guys like afraid to uh, make that lateral move to get some more hockey cards in your collections or what's going on? I mean, it's a great question, uh, Ralph. I can't speak for others, but I think that everyone has, you know, a budget, you know, yours truly included. Um, you know, that being said, like what I mentioned that 60 tops hold before, I really, and, I, and maybe this is a little bit of Jeremy rubbing off on me, but also just, you know, the maturity uh, that I have personally experienced in the marketplace as a collector, you know, and professionally. Um, I believe also hockey's not going anywhere. Uh, I believe that it's a really exciting sport. Um, I haven't taken my son to his first game yet, but I didn't go to a hockey game, you know, until I was in my late teens. And to me, it's a sport that if you experience it live, it's even better than watching it on TV, which, you know, these days you can't always say for pro sports. Um, and so I believe that, you know, for the long-term hockey cards are great. Um, it's interesting to hear you, Ralph, talk about the moments the way that you did, because I think that's kind of happening in, in other sports in modern cards, meaning like for the longest time, it was either like rookie card or bust. Maybe it was a rookie or insert, but like, that's it. And now, you know, and I'm, I'm not talking like, you know, and I guess it's, let's keep it hockey here. So for example, like you're talking about Yager. So instead of just doing like a Yager refractor run, which is fun, right? You're saying, hey, I'm diving deeper. And whether it be a patch auto of Yager, or for that matter, I know they didn't have timeless moments of Panini and, and, and you know, with Yager, but I hear what you're saying loud and clear. And this just comes to mind and believe me, I can talk cards for hours. But I'm like, you know, whether it be when the Rangers won the Cup in 94 or other various moments that were important to me as a kid, um, you know, with hockey, I would love, even if it was an aftermarket autograph, there's several cards I can picture in my head as a kid where I don't think they have autographed versions of it, but I would love to buy like a, you know, a certified PSA or SGC, whatever, you know, tag. I don't know if they do autographs, but, you know, a slabbed autographed version of, and I'm, for example, like an 89 I think they have like a couple like team cards or like, you know, moments or like Gretzky, you know, did something great. Like I would like those signed. I think that would be cool. Yeah. There is an upper deck, early upper deck Gretzky card 
for his 2000th point, I believe it is. Yes, that's a great Ooh. card. Yeah, yeah, that that is that's a great card that's worth about 50 cents. You can but get it signed, I mean, you know. but get it signed and that's a moment type of card. Final uh, thanks Layton for staying on extra, but final co uh, comment I want to make is that, you know, when Ralph mentioned that gold ink Iserman Scotty Bowman card from whatever from whatever set that came out of, maybe SP authentic, I'm not sure. And, you know, that is a card that caught his eye because of the beauty of the card. Never mind the content. The players are wonderful. The autographs are great. But it presented so nicely. I'm finding, and this ties into what you said as well, Leighton, about how it was for so long it was rookie card or bust. A lot of people that I follow on Instagram and that I communicate with are now really appreciating that third year Willie Mays or the, or, or right, that kind of card for the beauty of it for the artistry for the image that's captured for the colors of it for all these things like so to me you can you can find that Iserman Scotty Bowman card that that is Ralph's specific uh piece that represents this sort of this card to him but you can also find a similar type of card going back into the into the vintage realm whether it's all the way back to the 1910s or in the 1980s you know Maybe your second, a lot of cards that do fit this are the are the the second year baseball cards that have the little trophies on them. You know what I'm talking oh, about? Oh, you know, totally. It's funny because, uh, and like I said, this just shows you how much of a vintage nerd I am. So I have a few Howie Morenz cards in my collection, but I think that's a perfect example of what you said. I don't have a Howie Morenz rookie. I don't care that I don't have a Howie Morenz rookie. And in fact, I wish I knew the name of the set. You'll, you'll know yeah, it, Jeremy. You'll likely know it. But I want several examples and i have a no-name player from the sweet cap um postcards of hockey players i forgot the name of that set but the cards are amazing ralph i don't know if you know what i'm talking about but these are the kinds of cards where even if you don't have a hall of famer which i don't you know it might be a 500 dollars example a thousand dollar example but it makes you stop in your tracks you're like they produce cards of this caliber in 1912 it's unbelievable yeah exactly uh, I hear you, and I know I know the the postcards you're talking about. I think they use the same images on those that were used on the C55 series, the 1911s. Yes. These are bigger postcards; they're black yeah. and white. They are extremely rare. They're yes. you you just don't you might see one or two at at Larry's. Hey, if the audience has the, any, hit up me or Jeremy. We're interested. Yeah, you might see one or two at the expo, and they're they're going to be at Larry's booth. That's that's the only place. Long hair Larry, shout out to him. Yes, and it's going to you know be like seventeen thousand. Yeah. Because it's the only one known. And I'm like, you know, listen, I can't get a second mortgage. I, you know, it's not good. Yeah. All right, man. Well, hey, thanks for thanks for taking some time out of Saturday, joining us. Always fun. Um, say hello to Crosby. That's hello. your son, named yeah. after one of the finest hockey players of all time. So that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well thanks, thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it, Ralph. It was really nice meeting you. Uh, I enjoyed chatting with you, gentlemen. And I'll talk to you guys soon. Take Likewise. care. Likewise. Take care, man. All right, so I want to, we, Ralph, there are a lot of comments that have come in and there's some really, I, we're going to go through comments now, guys, and I, I can see that uh, we're going to start here with Bobby's. First of all, good to see you, Bobby. Um, way to, I think I might have brought this one on, I'm not sure, but way to educate yourself, he says to you, Ralph. Uh, Loud Collector says, I always use the Gretzky 79 as the line in the sand for vintage to me, but I'm 41, so maybe that plays a factor. It's okay. Like that's the thing. A lot everybody seems to have their own definition of when vintage ends. Frank says, "My sales of vintage hockey cards have been growing." So Frank, 
Frank says that, but he might like to you, Frank, what is vintage? If you haven't, I got, I probably have 30 comments I want to run through. So you might've already said, said it. Uh, vintage card collector says there is no substitute for looking at a ton of vintage cards. I also look at scans of old sales on PWCC, PSA slabs, et cetera, to compare sevens, eights, and nines. See, that's a very smart thing to do, especially if you want to buy a graded, a graded vintage card. You want to grade it by one of the incumbent human grading companies like a PSA or a, or an SGC. I think it makes a lot of sense to look at old images, go into the archives and find them. That's, I mean, that's, that's to me is it's not, I, I don't call it advanced collecting, but it's really like prep preparational collecting. It's doing your due diligence, right? Yeah, I agree. But also too, like it's, it's also different when you're actually looking online and looking at the scan per se, you, you don't really get the, the best picture, right? So, well, but PWCC's images are the best. Oh, like, is that right? Okay. Yeah. yeah I mean that, that, that's for sure. If you if you go into their onto their platform, you can scroll right in. You can see. I mean, they're yeah, they're amazing. They really are. But if you just go on eBay, you're not going to see that quality. Nick Martelli. Well, I've wondered because some people think early '80s, like '84 and before, is vintage, which sort of makes sense right off the bat there because that's when you had maybe it was '83. You all of a sudden you had you had Donruss come and Fleer come out and compete with Tops. So maybe for baseball, there's an argument, never mind 89 when Upper Deck came out, but when Tops started to have competition. So I think that's what he's talking about here. Uh, Jake Dahl, those vintage Parker's cards reviewedies. Yes, they are. Good evening, Mod Cult. Great to see you. Uh, Rich says, Ultimate is so underrated relative to SP Authentic Future Watch. And it's even like we're talking about a nice image, a nice clean picture, a nice clean card overall. We're talking about Ultimate Hockey, which is a brand of Upper Deck versus SP Authentic, the brand, and the FW's Future Watch, that's what the rookie cards are named. Similar to the way Upper Deck flagship product, Series 1 and 2, the rookie card is named a Young Gun. So, But to Ultimate, the thing that Ultimate actually has over the Future Watch is the Future Watch autographs are numbered out of $9.99. The Ultimates are numbered out of $99 or $199 or $299. just sort of depends on the year. Uh, Nick Martelli says Black Diamond has some sweet rookies as well. Black Diamond was one of those sets that came out, I think, for the first time, maybe 2003, I believe, because I know, I think that's the case. I, be I believe like Marc-Andre Fleury and those guys have a rookie card in Black Diamond. But the design was always the very similar, yeah, especially from, very similar. right? Especially like 05, 06, 07, 08. I, really hard to tell those apart. Joe Perot, what's going on, buddy? Good to see you. Congratulations on your 49ers today. Loud collector, and now we have cards that look like cheese. <laughs> now we have cards. <laughs> Guys, he's not lying. He's not lying. He's not kidding. Yeah. Okay. Here is a card. This just came out this week in, in Skybox Metal Universe, an upper deck product. This set is called, this insert set is called the Cheddar. <laughs> I think it's hilarious. Uh, that's the best word. This is just a funny insert. And I'd, I want to hear, I want to ask Billy Celio of Upper Deck, like, why there must be a reason why why the cheddar i don't know but we'll find out we'll find out uh get swifty says opichi premier 1990 sergey fedorov for me was the best card because when i had it signed by him was his rookie year and he had not seen it well that's really cool and i mean i can i can verify for everybody i mean i i was i had a shop in these years 
when upper when OPG Premier came out, which was an indirect response to Upper Deck, it was a higher quality card stock. It was the it was the bee's knees. OPG Premier was the best thing we'd ever seen, and the Sergei Fedorov was the hit card. It wasn't Yager, it wasn't Madano or Ronick. It was Sergei Fedorov. What did you want to jump in with, Ralph? Uh, it was pretty funny uh, the way how he state how he stated this, how he did not he hadn't seen the card, right? Kind of put me back to uh, last X, yeah, last expo and uh, sorry, not last one, the one before that when Yager was siding there in Toronto, and I I picked up that prime colors from you, and when I went to go give it to him to get it signed, he was like, "Wow," he's like, "Who makes these cards?" <laughs> I was like, "Oh man, he's got no idea." <laughs> <laughs> that's a fun that that's a really cool experience now that is this see what's really cool about that is that that story now belongs to that specific card mm -hmm. you have the yager has seen it did he hold that card in his hand yeah he had it yeah yeah so he, I mean, he that, was looking at it and he was like this is a good looking card and he was like who makes these cards <laughs> and in my head i'm just like man you're signing all these cards like what's going on who's signing the contracts you know yeah yeah who do, who do you think's paying you but you know what what's awesome ralph about that is that that one card has a story now that none of the other cards in that set have of the yagers from that same that exact same card with just different patches because they're unique patches but that's a really cool story um nick martelli picked up a a a, a a Raymond and a McKinnon. He's calling it Swiss cheese, but is there a, I, I mean, the, I, I got, I got two in a box. I got the Spencer Knight and the uh, Leon Dreisaitl. They're both called cheddar. I didn't see if there, maybe there's a Swiss cheese. As but well, there's, holes, which, there's holes in them, right? There's holes there, in them. So it's gotta be Swiss cheese. But it says that, I know you're right, but the, the whole, yeah, the holes are like on the edges. The funniest thing, the funniest thing. Okay, uh, Rich says, I think 9900 had SPX autos. Yeah, there were a couple in there. I do recall those, Rich. Thank you. Michael Ham, good evening to you. Great to see you. Bobby Burrell says, in hockey, vintage is when card producers took the gum out of packs. I mean, and, you know, Bobby's maybe the only person who I think can say something like this and it kind of be taken as, as, this, as the way it goes. I mean... You know, he's the guy that wrote this book right here. That we're, we're that's this guy right here, Bobby Burrell. Um, and this is volume two of his book. I, I think he's done three books altogether. I it's I have his book right here. I refer refer to it all the time. If Bobby says it, that might be something that the hobby's willing to accept. But I think I think nowadays people are just gonna go with what they what they want to go with. But at least at least I think Bobby and I are aligned on that for ourselves. JP says agree on vintage date, still had gum. Production style two, as stated, says a very fun read. Audiobook was Hockey Card Stories by Ken Reed. Great stories told through interviews about hockey cards. And um, he is referring to this book right here. I have all my like books sitting right here right now. This is volume two. He did Ken Reed, who is a co-anchor on Sportsnet um, and is a collector. I mean, he goes to the expo every time it's in Toronto. And uh, this is the book that uh, JP is referring to oh here's another one of ken's books right here one to remember stories from 39 members of the nhl's one goal club so players who only in their whole career ever scored one goal ken wrote a book he interviewed those guys and got the story and everything that's a pretty cool idea right there bobby goes on to say when gum was taken out the age of innocence ended and it became more about business true story i mean but then i i bobby i would wonder when Donruss and Fleer got into baseball in 83, 
was that that had to be about business for them as well. So I'm I'm curious how that reconciles, but I completely get the point. And I'm sure there's a great response that you will come up with. Get Swifty says, my problem was I fell out of collecting the year Sidney Crosby, which I still kick myself for. However, I started collecting again in the McDavid rookie year. McDavid's rookie year brought a lot of people back into collecting, as did the Crosby Ovechkin, because they were in a dual a dual year. Dave Sasidka says, and welcome to the show, Dave, a, a new name I don't think I've seen. Welcome, says the vintage era ended when Topps Monopoly on baseball ended after 1980. I just mentioned that, right? That's the That could be, I'm, I'm sure this, this is already a 25-minute old comment, so, I, so I'm sorry, everybody, but I do want to see what you guys are saying because I'm, I'm interested in all your thoughts. And that's a definitely a, a reasonable position right there. Loud Collector Tops had the Tiffany angle, gar- gorgeous cards. Yeah, a little bit of an extra gloss on those ba- compared to the orig- to the, the pack pulled. And the Tiffany sets were, I believe, only issued in factory set. The term factory set has gone by the wayside, hasn't it? I mean, Ralph, you, don't, you might not even know what a factory set was. Factory sets were like you just bought the complete set mm-hmm. in a nice box. It had colors. Remember that, those? That's like what they used to sell on the on the TV. Yeah, on the shop on, on the shopping channel. Exactly. Exactly. Nick Martelli says, I feel after 1987, the print runs exploded after that, which is why I feel like 87 is kind of the cutoff. But it could be up. You're I don't think anyone's off. That's the thing, Nick. If that is how you define it, you are welcome to define it that way. Nobody can tell you or anybody what they think vintage is. They can tell you what they think, but they can't tell you it's the only way. I don't, I just think we, we, we have the ability, the right to, to decide for ourselves. T-Dot loves 80s Opeachy, of course. Uh, Swifty says 88, 89 Opeachy Brett Hull rookie card was a good year, was a good to great year. I knew once Upper Deck went to basketball and football, it wouldn't last with all four sports. And yeah, the old stock went away. Hockey is religion up here. Yeah, T-Dot. And that's why, you know, Layton's comments, and I he never said it'll go away, but let's face it, the world does evolve. Things do change, but yeah, hockey will evolve. The rules are change, the rules change all the time, you know, and who knows where, where where they will go. But it's hard to imagine players who are in better physical condition than they are these days, especially when you compare them to when they were smoking butts and drinking beers in the intermission back in the 70s, you know, like and they were killing no- it still. They're still killing it. And they were still killing it. Exactly. Exactly. Jason, like why, is it, why is it so hard to find refractor hockey cards? Can't I can't really comment on that, Jay. I mean, I see I see my fair share of them when I'm when I'm looking on Com C is a great place to find refractors of, of any old player. Of course, eBay you'll find some as well. Um, Jake Dahl says, Where do you see golf cards and golf collecting in the future? Yeah, you know what? I think it's gonna be for me an I don't collect them, but it's hard to deny the cultural relevance of golf and of, you know, Tiger from, from like, you know, Jack Nicholas to Tiger Woods. Uh, it's these, these guys have cultural relevance. That's, that's all it takes to put a sport on the map, really. Um, so I think there's, I think there's a good, and they don't make a ton of them. There aren't, they're, they're not making sets every single year. So What's out there is kind of what's out there. And I, I think there's, I think it's got a good future and golf isn't going away. I mean, think about this too, Ralph, when we talk about golf, all the collectors who, who have, who are in the hobby now, who are between the age of like 20 and 40 and maybe don't do a lot of golfing. They might start doing more golfing in their fifties and sixties. And maybe then they'll get into golf and they'll have a lot more money than too, most likely. So golf could have a, could have a very good future overall. Any, any thoughts on that, Ralph? 
Um, the the way how that works is is interesting. It kind of reminds me of like with like Formula One and like NASCAR per se, how they have very very few products. Like let's say you'll be lucky if you get one or maybe two products a year, right? Like of high let's say of high end product. And you're going to have that select crowd where they don't have to be buying into so many different types of releasing of product and they're just buying and they're, they're spending the bucks on the premium item. So it's a, it's, it's a very select market, which seems like as soon as it's released, it's like a Black Friday special and everyone's kicking and screaming the doors down and, and trying to get what they can while they can, right? It's That's a what I think. Issue. Yeah. That's what I think. And then also too, like as you said, I, I think with those markets, they will so I think they'll just slowly rise. I think it's it's not gonna be a, a quick uh, a quick rise. I think it's just gonna be slowly over the time. But you're gonna have your high end players for sure. You're gonna have high end people in the market that will chase those the, those pieces. Like that wouldn't surprise me uh, one bit. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. Let's keep on going. Vintage Card Collector here said, there are many, there, sorry, there are more people attending a lot of hockey games than baseball. Hockey will be fine in 50 years. Baseball is in trouble. I mean, I, I baseball, be, it is America's pastime. I think it might be in trouble, but I think they'll find a way to save it because it's baseball and it's, and it's Americana. So, I think they'll figure that out before it it dies, but it might go through a period where of unpopularity. Frank said vintage hockey is undervalued. Tito says hockey will boom. It's scarce and demand supply. Nick Martelli says my father has a complete Opeachy, has complete Opeachy sets from 76 all the way to 89. He doesn't want to break them up and I don't blame him. And I'm, I'm, I'm like, that's the thing I've got. I've got friends that aren't really in the hobby, but you know, they have binders with pages of Opeachy hockey sets going back as far as they they may you know certainly throughout the 80s several people do and yeah they don't they don't care what they're worth they 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 care what they're worth cuz they paid 20 bucks for them back in the 80s and if they're worth 500 now they're very happy but they're not breaking them up they they they've sat on those shelves for 30 years they're not going anywhere get swifty asks do you think connor bedard will be a card to get in the upcoming years that's a very easy yes Connor Bedard appears to be the next in line of that Sidney Crosby, Connor McDavid, Connor Bedard. Um, yeah, I think so. Uh, but he's going to come out of the gate extremely expensive right away, and he may never look back. You know, it just he may always be up there. Um, but it, you know, the NHL is different than junior, so it's tough to say for sure. But he seems to be a can't miss generational type of player. Daniel A. says, love these chat nights. Cool story about the rarity of Opeachy hockey in the States, even in the 80s. Yeah, I thought it was interesting as well, Dan. Good to see you. Nick says, buy Connor Bedard while you still can. Well, she doesn't really have any like any like any NHL team cards yet, but um, he will be the biggest sports icon behind McDavid, Crosby, and Ovechkin in hockey for sure. I think that is likely to happen. And there's a lot of talk about what teams are going to maybe tank in order to draft him this coming summer. So it'll be very interesting. Imagine like Chicago's having a terrible year. If they remain terrible and get that first pick in Chicago, like an original six team gets Connor Bedard. I think that'd be really good for the hobby. The best for the hobby to me is, is if that player ends up in Toronto or Montreal, those teams seem to have the most fans around the world, but 
you know, Chicago's Chicago is kind of the next best thing. Detroit would be good. We saw with the Rangers when they had Alexi Lafreniere. Now he hasn't he hasn't impressed anybody yet, but that card came out very expensive at the beginning, and then he played and it wasn't so great. Now it's like down to probably fifteen percent of its original value. Uh, Alan says, as long as Canada's around in fifty years, hockey should be good. I'm with you, Alan. Swifty says, I just thought about. No one has said anything about score 1990 French edition hockey. Yeah, we had we had upper deck French as well, which uh, which saw a big run up in value, and then they went back to the presses. You can read Card Sharks, the book about upper deck, and learn all about that. I'm not sure what else there is really to say about the French edition, but um, you know, I'm sure it was popular in the in the province of Quebec. Ryan Dvorak says, still have my 81, 82, and 82, 83 Opeachy sets. My father wanted them for us since the Devils' first season in New Jersey was 82. That's right. The, Col- the, the New Jersey Devils moved from Colorado. They were the Colorado Rockies. They became the New Jersey Devils. And, uh, and now Colorado gets a team back several years later when the Quebec Nordiques moved south of the border to Colorado and they were a very successful team right out of the gate. I think they won the Stanley cup in like their second or third year. So pretty amazing. I like this next comment. You'll like this Ralph vintage card collector says Jagger might still be playing 50. Jagger's 50 years old right now. And he's still playing hot professional hockey. You know, you know, what's funny. There was a, I think it was like a week ago. He had to, uh, he had to fill in for one of his, uh, line mates like because he doesn't play anymore right but one of his one of his like players just couldn't make it so he he just suited up and he played with the team because he i he yeah i saw that he got two points he got two points points. points. (laughs) i believe i believe he owns the team yeah he's player couldn't make it so he he i didn't know that i thought he was on the roster when i saw that clip i thought oh he's still playing okay that's hilarious yeah yager is a he's an all-timer for sure. Chad Shipper in the house. What's going on, Chad? Great to see you as always. Dave Kaplan in the house. Good to see you, Dave. Dan says, hockey is always my go-to. Nick Martelli says, the solid card is even the upper deck card when Wayne scored 802 goals. Yes, that's a, that, is that a pro, isn't that a pro? pro set. I, might, I might be confusing, confusing a pro set card with a, with a, with an upper deck card, but uh, T-Dot says, the Gretzky rookie was a kid's dream card back in the day. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that was, that was a dream card up until, you know, it's still a dream card actually for a lot of people. Definitely. And I'm sorry that these comments are so old, but I, I want to read them selfishly. Seb Welcome says, when you open a hockey 1990-91 upper deck pack and you compare the cards to the 89-90 Opeachier tops, you know a new era is here. The last vintage big rookie card was Sackick. I mean, that's how I, that's where I draw the line as well. And but that's for me. I mean, I don't get offended if anyone goes says something different. I mean, that's how that's how I that's how I operate. Swifty says I may not have a Maurice Richard or Gordy Howe rookie card, but I was able to get an autograph from them both. I just wish it was at the same time. It's nice to have their autographs. Both gentlemen have passed away, so that's pretty cool. Frank Estella says, Jeremy, I'm 70 years old, and vintage to me is anything before 1980, and that's fair. Uh, and thank you, I guess, because I asked you before, Frank, what it was. So my next question to you, Frank, is why? What is the, what happened? What's the distinction? Is it simply the turn of the decade or is there something more specific? I'm curious why you define it that way for yourself. Skeppy, welcome, says there are so many rookie cards that people force into their collections and they may not even like it 
but they have to buy it for a collecting goal or something. That's very true. I mean, I fall into that category where I want, I want for a long time, I wanted every Hall of Famer's rookie card. And then I'm like, I don't know who Hugh Lehman was. Like Hugh, and, and his card came out in 1960 tops, I think it was. And he didn't even play. He was an old, old time great or something like, so I, I went away and now I don't need all the rookie cards, but I, I under, a lot of it is like, is the PSA set registry for the hall of fame and all these sorts of things. So it makes a good sense. Oh, I see Nikki called it Swiss cheese because of the holes. There you go, Ralph. That's why he, uh, he called it Swiss cheese. Uh, let's see. Bobby Burrell says I specified in hockey base baseball is about a decade more advanced. Thus baseball vintage might be considered 1980. That's important. And, and thanks for sharing that Bobby. So what Bobby's saying is that, you know, for, for hockey, he's saying when the gum came out of the packs, cause he stated that early earlier for baseball, he might, he's saying it might be considered 1980 because again, I think that's when tops lost their exclusive uh, license. And all of a sudden, I don't know what year I thought it was 83, but I could be a year. It might've been 82. And when, um, when Fleer came out, I think Donruss didn't come. What was Donruss's first baseball year? I thought it was 83, but it could have been 82. I don't remember, but thanks for clarifying. Bobby Skeppy says you could argue vintage ended in 1993 with the first finest cards, cards completely changed with this, with that set. Um, I wouldn't, I would, to me, Skeppy, I would, I would give that nod to when Upper Deck came out with the, with that white stock and the hologram on the back of the card and switching from, from wax paper to foil wrap for the first time. I think, I think the finest stuff was like inspired by, by that innovation that came before it. So that's my personal thought, but, but Hey, a worthy suggestion and worth, worth talking through. Vintage card collector says, how do vintage collectors in Canada view OPT versus tops? Is tops shunned? Great question. I think we could do a whole episode on this question alone. Ralph, do you want to take, do you want to, I mean, I have my thoughts. I want you to jump in with somebody. What do you think of that? What's, what's your perception it's, of that? It's, it's, it's a little tit, tit for tat for me. Um, like tops sharp. Like that's the first thing that comes to my mind when I think of a tops uh, vintage card is, is sharpness just because on the cut the cut was always a sharp cut and it's just like clean but for you me personally like if i were to own a tops card it would have to be a high grade tops card if i were to to obtain one opt is one of those ones where you 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 just you buy the card because you 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 love how it looks because you know that you're gambling what you're going to get and you know that the cut's not always going to be perfect and just how it was handled. I just, it's been through some times, you know, <laughs> it's got yeah. some stories. It just won't tell you. It just won't tell you what the story is going to be, you know, but it has stories. Yeah. So I, I hear you there. And I think, you know, my response to this question from vintage card collector is that Opeachy is, is Canadiana the same way tops is Americana. Like Opeachy is, what we grew up on here we didn't we we couldn't really go out like opichi was sold in all the corner stores where tops wasn't tops was sold south of the border opichi was sold north of the border uh so that's one thing they are a little bit different right like ralph made a good point the tops cards are a higher quality so you think well why don't you want those instead well because we couldn't get them and that's what we remember and we've come to love those rough cuts, you know, we've come to, to, it's almost like we feel sorry for these cards that weren't produced as well. So we love them more. Um, 
there's a bit, there's something to that there. There's the nostalgia piece, but then, you know, there are a couple of tops cards throughout the run of tops. Now, Tops was the sole hockey card producer, I think, from like 67. In 1968, Opichi came onto the scene and Tops kept on producing as well. And they really were like, whatever it was, Bobby, it's all, it's all, the cards looked the exact same, except for the stock was a little bit different. The Tops cards are a little bit darker. Um, so a little bit, a little bit different, but there are a few tops cards that I feel are worthy of an Opeachy loyalists collection. And I'll let you know what they are. First of all, 1980, 81 tops, the puck in the bottom right corner of the card where the player's name was on the tops card. They had like a, like a, like a, almost like a lottery, a scratch off lottery ticket. They had that there. You'd have to scratch it off to find out the player's name. Great. I mean, nowadays that you damage the card if you do that, but then you were back then you were encouraged to do that. So if you can find a high-grade Mark Messier or Ray Bork tops rookie card, that is very, very rare. And I know because I own – I personally bought a okay. PSA 10 Ray Bork rookie tops because I thought it's way rarer than the Opeachy version. It was selling for, like, way cheaper. I thought something doesn't make sense there. I'm going to buy one because it's a cool card, and I think it's just way undervalued. So that's one card that I think is is worthy – so both the Messi and the, and the Bork. The other one, though, I wonder if any of you guys can guess. You probably can if you follow me on Instagram for sure. But that would be the 1988 Opeachy Wayne Gretzky. Because for the Tops card, which is distributed in the United States, they the picture used of him is him at the press conference holding up his new LA Kings jersey, whereas the Opeachy card is him in a photo at a photo shoot on the ice. And you can tell it's a photo shoot because he's just looking. He's standing holding a stick in front of him on the ice and it's all dark behind him it's like there's no one else in the arena they just got him out there for some photographs so that's where the the design is unique it's not a rookie of course but it's unique to the opichi card and it's even a lot nicer so there's that and then one more comment and i see uh t dot is mentioning it right at the bottom here so i'm gonna just um mark this for a moment so i don't lose where i was t dot here says 82 and 83 tops never made hockey cards very good point. It's the two years between 68 and let's say 89 where they didn't make hockey cards, which is really cool. So unfortunately, the 82 set and, and, and T-Dog goes on to say here, that's why the 82 Opeachy is gold. I love the 82 Opeachy set because it has two of my all-time favorite players, rookie cards in it, Dale Howard, Chuck and Ron Francis. But don't forget about Joe Mullen. Don't forget one of the best American-born players of all time. And don't also forget about Grant Fuhrer. And there's a few other. Thomas Steen is in there, a friend of mine. Like, there's some D. I love that set. It's also the first set I remember really going after because it had Howard Chuck's rookie card, and I grew up in Winnipeg. So, But it's kind of unique that those two years, there's way fewer total cards of those players out there because Tops didn't make them at all. Did you know that, Ralph? Is that news to you, or did you know that? No, I, I I didn't know that. That's that's news. That's new. Yeah, it's kind of a cool piece of tri- of hockey card trivia. Yeah, Jake Dahl says, "I hope my Habs, the Montreal Canadiens, get Connor Bedard." Yeah, every everybody's going to say that, right? He says the only cards Bedard has are Upper Deck Team Canada. Yes, definitely the only cards they have. And if you want to know, like if you're someone who's sort of investing in the in these prospects before they get drafted, 
Go see what Connor, Mc, Connor McDavid had equivalent cards. So go see what they are doing now compared to what they were doing before he had upper deck cards or upper deck NHL cards. And you'll see if those are, if you think those are good purchases. Nick Martelli says upper deck collector's choice with the 802 behind him. Pretty sure. Thank you, Nick Martelli. Uh, Todd McDonald, good evening, says, uh, yeah, well, good to have you. Better late than never. Thanks for joining. Frank says the 80s. So here's the answer to that question from Frank. And thank you for interacting. Says the 1980s saw more card issues enter the market. Prior to 1980, there were not so many products. So that same consistent reason why baseball, the vintage line might end at 1980 because it's when comp when tops started to have competition. Tito says tops isn't shunned, but Canadians want Opeachy. Yeah, I, th- I mean, that's pr- it is, it, it goes back to what we were saying earlier. Nick Martelli got a top 71 how, and it looks so sharp and nice. It's an SGC eight gorgeous card. Very nice card. Wish I could find an Opeachy in the same condition, but the price is almost triple for the card. Yeah. And I don't know, like, I've always been under the impression that the, the absolute print runs of Opeachy were a lot lower than Tops, just because it's USA versus Canada for distribution. I don't know if that's the case. I just don't know. I, I wasn't privy to that information back then. And I say I don't know because, and I haven't checked, like, population reports on, on PSA's website lately, but I've been told, I believe, that, like, there's more Opeachy cards in the population than Tops. It now, I'm not saying that the PSA pop report is an indication of print runs, but is it? I don't know. So, just a question I'm putting out there. If anyone has any thoughts on that, please please drop them in. Uh, let's see. Alan S says, For me, Tops is undervalued, and I think they all they took all the photos for the cards. Yeah, Tops licensed the image, licensed the images for Opeachy. Uh, but I think, I think like it, like even Tops cards were printed in Canada in the fifties and sixties and Bobby could, could correct us. And I could even kind of look in his books and, and verify, but I can guarantee you some, some tops cards in the sixties were printed in Canada. It says it right on the back of them. You can go check that out for yourself. Get Swifty wants to know, did anyone ever get the upper deck 1990 hockey promotional card of Wayne Gretzky? Well, of course we did Swifty. I mean, that card, do you know this card, Ralph? No, I don't know. So, so, Keep in mind, 1989 Upper Deck puts out baseball cards. They were they were the they revolutionized they revolutionized sports cards, but they were the first. You had a hologram for security purposes, for counterfeit purposes, on the back of the card for the very first time. New cardstock, foil wrap, pictures on the back of the cards, like different than the front. Now they don't even do that anymore. So, before they came out. Upper Deck put out a, a, a promotional set to test the market in Canada, and, and I guess to really show the show the the distributors and the card shops what was coming, so that they could order their cards. Well, they put out a two card set. It was it was Wayne Gretzky and Patrick Waugh, and they were highly pursued. I mean, promo cards were were the insert card of that era. Like there were no in, like there were inserts, but we didn't really know what inserts were. We didn't. It wasn't a, it wasn't a whole class of its own. So promo card, there was there was the Brett Hall Pro Set promo as well. There were the Action Pack promo cards. I mean, I'm sure there were more. I just can't remember. But back in the early 90s, promo cards were like error. Error cards were all the rage. Promo cards were all the rage. Now, nobody cares about error cards or promo cards anymore, except for that Frank Thomas no-name card. You know, so they've gone away. But yes, Swifty, thanks for bringing that up. That That's very nostalgic. 
Let's see what Skeppy says. I do understand what you're saying about 89 upper deck. Chrome style card have been the core of the hobby the last 25 years. And when we look back in the not so distant future, 93 might be it. Uh, I still don't. I'm, I'm not there, Skeppy. I'm not there. But uh, but I, I do I do appreciate it. I do appreciate the, the, the position for sure. TDOT says, as a kid growing up in Edmonton, the trade was crazy. So the sweater card tops is amazing. Yes, completely agree with that. Again, we're talking about the tops upper deck. Sorry, the tops Wayne Gretzky card versus the Opeachy. This is a you know a complete set. The Opeachy set I think is maybe two hundred and sixty four cards. The tops maybe a hundred and I don't even know what the what the total cards were in those sets. I could probably look them up. And Bob, here I flipped right to it. The top set had a hundred. Sorry, tops was one hundred ninety eight cards in eighty eight eighty nine, and Opeachy was two hundred and sixty four. So Tops didn't even make the sets as big as the as Opeachy did. Um, so, but in any event, all the images were the same through all 198 or whatever it was Tops cards, except for one, that Wayne Gretzky, and that to me is a card where. So I was working on a on a, a run of Gretzky's base cards, Ralph, from his 79 Opeachy rookie up through till his like 1990 Opeachy card, and there's two exceptions to me wanting more than one card for the year. The first is the rookie year. I thought I want his tops card as well, because to me, when I bought my, my tops Gretzky card, I felt it was way undervalued in the condition I got it in. And that proved to be true. So I'm glad I made that decision. However, many years ago, but the other one was the 89 or sorry, the 88 tops and Opichu. I want both cards just because they're different. So very, very cool stuff right there. Chris Flay says 1954 Tops Hockey, one of the nicest sets ever. And let's let's just take a moment to to first of all like agree with Chris Flay on this because it is to me like 52 Tops Baseball. Ralph, you know about 52 Tops Baseball, right? I mean everybody knows about 52 Tops Baseball. It's the first set of the first major set of Tops Baseball cards. It's like these are Mona Lisa type quality artwork and and design is beautiful to me the 54 tops hockey set is the equivalent to the 52 tops baseball now it has a similar another similar characteristic which is that the 52 tops baseball cards the key cards are the mickey mantle the 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 jackie robinson the willie mays right Eh, sure eddie matthews and those guys but let's look at those three guys who everybody seems to collect it, it's none of their rookie cards. The 52 Tops, Man, Maze, and Jackie are not rookie cards, but they are among their most valuables, if not their most valuable cards, especially for Mickey Mantle. Probably Willie Mays as well. For hockey, it's the same story. 54 Parkhurst. Now, they only made cards of, of the American teams. There's no, there's no Montreal Canadiens or Toronto Maple Leafs in that set, but there are some key cards like, and they're all, they seem to all be Detroit Red Wings, right, Ralph? I mean, you've got Gordie Howe. You've got a Terry Sawchuk, you got a Red Kelly and Alex Del Vecchio, all these Hall of Famers, but you know, you don't have Maurice Richard or Doug Harvey or you know, no. any of those guys. But my anyway, my point is that the 54 Tops hockey set is so nice, yet the the Gordie Howe, which if you look at, you know, Joe Orlando, the previous president and CEO of PSA, when he came out with the Mount Rushmore of hockey cards. He put a Gordie Howe on it, but he didn't put the 51 Parkhurst rookie, which is about, you know, this big compared to the full size, oversized 54 tops card. He used the 54 tops card. 
because it is so gorgeous. It's red, white, and blue. It's got that beautiful white background. And Gordy Howe, you guys, just go look it up if you don't know what I'm talking about. Go look how beautiful this card is. Uh, Gordy's in a great pose, too. Some cards in that set, the players in kind of wonky poses. The 54 tops, Gordy Howe, is, I'm surprised it's underloved to this day. It should be as prestigious as a 50 top, 52 tops Mickey Mantle, you know, hockey related to baseball. Ralph, anything to add? Yeah, the thing that I really like about that set is is when they when they embedded the the autograph into each each card. The facsimile That's, autograph, the great. Yeah. So that kind of like revolutionized uh, a different way in hockey because it was still like how many years later until that actually did happen, right? When they actually put real autographs on cards. Yeah. Many many years later. Yeah. So here I'm just gonna show a picture of now in Bobby's uh, second edition of his book, he does have an image of, of the, so that's the card right down there. Now that's not the Gordy Howe. That is the Terry Sawchuck, but that's the, like that design is just, it's nice. It's just this. And even the back is super cool, right? Like compare that to the 51 Parkhurst, which I love, I love it as well, but it's the, here's the 51 Parkhurst design. Okay, right, right there. And that is the Gordie Howe card, right? Yeah. That's the 51. So, you know, it's really got like black and red only. It's a smaller card. It's got a blank back. So in any event, um, thanks for raising that question uh, or that comment, Chris. It's bang on uh, as far as I, as far as I'm concerned. Okay. Bobby pipes in again with vintage hockey Opeechee versus tops. Tops came out at the beginning of the season Opeechee would wait to release on January 1st as they waited for the trades and then and had a bigger set. So that's an interesting tidbit. Some people some people might consider then that the Opeechee not to be the rookie card because tops came out first. I, I don't I don't buy into that. I think it's what season does the set represent. I don't care what month the card came out in uh, relative to the other personally. I care about what set what what year the set is meant to represent. TDOT says, surprised you didn't know Tops never made hockey. Good to know. Oh, yeah. Not everybody was following the sport, uh, the, the hobby back then. JH says, Lindros was the first big chase product from 1990 score. That entered vintage, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, that, that ties into where I'm at for different reasons. But Eric Lindros was basically like, how, do you, how would you describe? Almost the way, like, when Eric Lindros came out, it was perfect timing because new companies were coming into play similar to the way, you know, many more collectors got back into the hobby when Sidney Crosby came out in 05, uh, McDavid in 15. Lindros in 1990 was today's McDavid. Connor Bedard. I mean, he was, he was as big, if not bigger in the hobby than Crosby, Ovechkin, McDavid, uh, and Austin Matthews. Like, Lindros was maybe the biggest prospect ever to hit the hobby to this day, so, hockey-wise. Maybe all sports, I'm not sure. But, I mean, let's face it. To me, Ken Griffey Jr., card number one ever in any upper deck product, the Ken Griffey Jr. rookie, that to me is a revolutionary card and one that is iconic beyond, you know, to me it's a top five iconic card of all time just because of what it represents. Go ahead. Yeah. You know what's very interesting, though, is because when the Lindros card was coming out, that's when... um 
that's when all the forging starting started to happen with his um with his autograph. So oh, many really? people, yeah, so many people were uh, forging his autographs, and uh, and then no one could tell the difference between a real or a fake. And then and then now thinking about it, it was it's pretty funny because from what I remember, going to a different sport like in '91 hoops, I have a. I have a Patrick Ewing and a John Stockton uh, uh, auto from that set. And it's one of those like one in like a million, uh, so many packs. And it's, it's got an, an, an emboss, emboss on it. Right. Is that how you on say hoops? it? Emboss? From yeah. Hoops? On hoops. Yeah. It's got, it's got, it's got a stamp, like one of those letter, you know, those stamps that they put on the back of a, an envelope, kind of like that, but no wax. Right. And, um, yeah, so that's how you would know if it was a real or a fake auto. It, it would have that emboss on it. But um, funny thing is, they won't. Um, if you send that into Beckett to get it um, authentic, Beckett or PSA to um, to authenticate it, you have to um, because it doesn't say on the back that it's an authentic autograph. They have to first. You have to send it in through their autograph uh, services and then get oh. it encapsulated. So you know for sure 100% that it is uh, the real deal, right? I hear you. I, I just want to I want to modify one thing you just said that you, you never know for sure 100% unless there's unless someone has a picture of the person. I, I believe autograph authentication is is opinion based, but it's you know, we there's some people who just have the most experience and those people do work at Beckett Authentication Services or PSA DNA, so or JSA, of course, as well. Those are the people that have the best opinions out there, the most, I would say, the, the strongest hit rate of being right. But, I mean, every authentication service has um, autographs that they've authenticated that just weren't authentic. But I hear what you're saying. That That's besides the point. But, yeah, thanks for that call out. Okay, uh, Eric Sanderson or been listening all night and I'm loving this episode. My opinion is vintage is 8990 and back. That was 34 years ago. That's vintage unfortunately because we are old now. <laughs> and uh, that's that's where I stand as well for myself. T dot, I love the Sam Vincent Jordan error card. Not familiar with it. Skeppy says Jay Lee is in full knowledge mode tonight. LOL, you can just see him enjoying this. Well, I love I love reminiscing. I love I just love cards. You guys know that by now. T Dot says Ken Dryden rookie is significant because it was one of the first cards of a goalie wearing a mask. Very interesting. I feel like you've made that comment before on this show, probably months and months ago. T Dot, that this this comment seems familiar to me. And and let, not only is this significant, you know, uh, and and if that is true, and I'm not doubting you, T Dot, but you know, if if this is true, it's not only significant for that. It's also significant because it is one of the most beautiful and kind of like 70s designs that ever ever came out like it's got those those bold color backgrounds within that oval nice clean white edges you know to the extent they are clean uh it's such a cool looking set you've also got three very key rookie cards in there being you got the ken dryden rookie you got the gila fleur rookie and you've also got i mean gila fleur is before wayne gretzky it was gila fleur like sure there was bobby orr of course but for flying up the ice and scoring a goal with his hair. And now listen, I'm too old. I'm too young to have, maybe I saw him play at some point, but probably not. Um, you know, he was the finesse player of the seventies. And so Gila Fleur is someone, if you don't know Gila Fleur, 
you should. Let me just put it out. And then Marcel Dion. Marcel Dion, he's the third guy in that set with the, that's a key rookie. I think it's Butch Goring in that set too, maybe. There's one other player. Maybe it's not Butch Goring, but in any event, insignificant. I want to talk about Marcel Dion for one moment here. For the longest time, Marcel Dion, before Wayne Gretzky, was the leading NHL point getter. He was at the top of the all-time points list. And for the longest time, he was second in NHL career scoring. He never won a Stanley Cup. He played with the Los Angeles Kings on the Triple Crown line, I believe, with Dave Taylor and Charlie Simmer for several years. Um, their rookie cards, I think, are both in the in the Gretzky year. I mean, Gretzky's rookie year, 7980, has his rookie, and then a few lower-level rookies like those guys. Um, did I say Charlie Simmer and Dave Taylor? If I said Dave Taylor, Dave Taylor was the boss the year before. He's from 19... His rookie year is 1978, or his rookie card is 1978. But you also have, like, Barry Melrose and... Ken Lindsman, and there's a few others in there, but I, I, I digress. Marcel Dion is maybe one of the most underappreciated. He's up there with like a Dale Howard, Chuck, my guy, right? Never won a cup, Hall of Famer, but uh, but Marcel Dion was an all-time career point leader for so long. So anyway, back onto the comment. Nick Martelli, those early 50s, the sets would be like 12 cards for the whole set or even 20. It's wild how small they were. So if you guys follow me on Instagram for the last week or so, I've been doing what I'm calling hockey sets 101. And I'm doing these little one, one slide images of every set made. And I've covered, I've gone through Opeachy from 68 to 89 so far. And now next I'm doing Parkhurst and I've started from 51. I'll go till I think it's 63. And I'm learning more about these sets as I'm doing these myself, but the 57, sorry, there was no, what year they didn't do 56. There's a missing link set that I think in the game put out several several years later. But 57 Parkhurst and 58 Parkhurst are only 50 card sets. 25 Toronto cards, 25 Montreal cards. So, uh, yeah, they were smaller back then, Nick, for sure. Colin Murray, there's a vintage guy if I'd ever known one. Good to see you, Colin. Bobby Burrell says, I talked to the gentleman from Opeachy who drove down to the train station to pick up the 54, 55 cards, packs, and wrappers to be packaged at Opeachy. That's pretty that's cool. amazing. That's, that's, pretty am- cool. that's amazing. He says, after that, I believe Opeachy made all the cards in Canada from 5758 through to 6869, except the 6667 tops test set. So what Bobby is telling us here is that even though Opeachy wasn't the brand of cards until what wasn't a brand of cards until 1968, never mind the 33s and the and the 36s and the 1940 sets. But from there was no Opeachy from 1940 to 1968. However, what Bobby is telling us is that Opeachy actually printed the cards for tops from 57 to 68. So it kind of makes me wonder, are those Opeachy cards or are they tops cards or should they be labeled as Opeachy slash tops? Could it be both? What do you think of that, Bobby? Curious. Skeppy says Lindros was actually in the 1990 score traded baseball set. Yeah, then that was... That was an Eric Lindros. I mean, listen, Score was trying to really milk the Eric Lindros uh, phenomenon, and they put him in their Score update set. He was taking batting practice for the Toronto Blue Jays. I mean, that card would sell like hotcakes back then. I, it, it sold like hotcakes. I In my store, I sold it like hotcakes back then. Colin says, well, Lindros is the most dominant player to ever lace them up. And I mean, I mean, is it dominant? I think what, what I think, Colin Murray, I feel like you're talking about power forward and just the guy could could he could stick handle he could skate and 
he could he could like just skate through people because he was so big and strong. How did Maurice Richard compare to that? Was he kind of like that dude? Tim Horton. I mean, Tim Horton was a defenseman, but I seem to have memories of Maurice Richard never firsthand, just what I've seen on video, that he would do that too. But I think he would just skate through people with that fire in his eyes. And in any way, in any event, Colin tells us that 1954 Tops has a lot of recoloring and trimming, as does a lot of vintage cards. And a lot of them are slabbed in PSA and BGS holders, even though they're recolored and trimmed. Uh, but, you know, hopefully they're getting, they've gotten better at that since then. TDOT tells us vintage hockey is either Gretzky rookie back or 89 back. 1990 upper deck was the new era. I'm with you. Vintage card collector says, can you explain the difference between 66 or tops and tops test? Do you own both? I mean, I, I can tell you that. Uh, yeah. So I don't own both. I'm not interested in the tops test because it wasn't a card that came out of PAX in Canada for people. It was limited. It was a limited run. It was a test set. When I say I'm not interested in it, I just mean I'm not interested in 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 owning one for myself. Um, if I could maybe get a great deal, I would because it's a, still cool. But the biggest difference aesthetically are, are two things: the, the the wood grain of the of the tops test is a lot lighter than the regular tops card, and the other thing is that if you look at the right edge of the card, there's always going to be a white stripe down that edge, and it looks like it's miscut or offcut, but that's the way they all are. So. It was a test product. I mean, I'm sure optimally they didn't want that there, but they let it go because, hey, we're just testing the market, seeing is hockey going to, you know, is it, is it going to sell down here, whatever they were doing, which makes me wonder, but they they had tops hockey cards in 64, 65, 66. So why, maybe Bobby knows, why did they call it tops test when they already had tops the year before and the year before that? The tall boys are the 64s. I don't know. Good, good. Well, thanks for bringing that up, uh, Vintage. And maybe Bobby will know, or I could look in his book and see. Colin Murray says, I'm one of the bigger vintage dealers, and I do not bring anything past 1970 due to any show except for some rookies. And fair, fan Colin, I, you know, I, I always look at Colin's booth and I'm like, oh, that's so, he's got such great stuff and unopened packs and all this. But, but just because you do not bring anything past 1972 doesn't mean that it's not vintage or that it can't be considered vintage. It just means that's what you're dealing in. So I just, um, maybe, maybe Colin is the biggest, one of the bigger extra vintage dealers. And I can, I can vouch for Colin when he is one of the bigger vintage dealers and he's been at the expo forever and, uh, and other shows too. So Swifty says, let's see those 1990 pro set cards. T says 1990 Sam Vincent hoops. Jordan is wearing number 12 PSA says, okay, Colin tops made in Canada on the back. Yeah, tops made in Canada on the back. There we go. So that that helps to be why Opeachy isn't uh, but tops made in Canada by Opeachy. Just by Opeachy isn't on there. Maybe Barry Ma. Good to see you, Barry. Buddy says and Barry's with uh, Com C says Dryden Lafleur Dion Butch Gore and okay, we're talking about the seventy one seventy two Opeachy set and the rookies in it. And I had mentioned before Lafleur Dryden Dion are the big three. And after that, you do have some other ones, including Butch Goring. So I was right about that. Rick Martin, Rick McLeish, and Reggie Leach. I mean, those last four players aren't widely collected. You know what I mean? But they're still, back in the day, they were important players for sure. Anything uh, Anything you want to jump in with at this point, Ralph? Anything kind of triggering anything in your mind? Um, I kind of had a, a, a little good laugh. How I kind of reminisced on that uh 
on the Lafleur rookie set. How it it, it kind of reminds me of the the Kareem Abdul Jabbar uh, rookie layout. How it's got that oval uh, yeah. oval shape to it. Pretty uh pretty iconic, I'd say. And it's 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 very eye appealing because it's the only time that it, it's 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 very cool when they when they make a card and they only make it that design once. So it makes you not forget that like that was that specific year. You know what I mean? You, yeah, I'm, I'm so glad like, you raised. I'm so glad you bring this up because I've never, I, I, I've, I've noticed it, but I've never, my brain has never like made that connection, like, like overtly, you know. But you, you raise a great point because the Kareem Abdul Jabbar, the the Lou Alcindor rookie card, I think it's 1969 Topps basketball. Yeah, it's a tall boy. It's a taller card, and it has that oval. You're right, just like the 71 Opeachy and Topps hockey. I wonder if they were inspired by the 69 basketball. If they were, that's really cool. And I'm always trying to think of ways that, you know, the hockey card market can grow. And I always figure that, you know, basketball collectors, that's a fast action sport, you know, end to end. You know, the goal is at each end. They're similar sports as far as like the way they're laid out. Obviously, one's on ice, one isn't. One's got a ball, No, all those differences. But you know what I mean? The goal is at the end, whereas baseball... The goal is where you start. You know, you got to run in a circle, sort of thing. I wonder. I wonder, like, if if a basketball collector would be more apt to collecting like a seventy-one op. Like, if they're going to look at vintage, they might. Oh, that maybe something subliminally would 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 register with them. I wonder. Probably probably stretching there, but you never know. Uh, Dave Kaplan lets us know that tops the tops test version has no French, so he's implying then that the that the regular tops Bobby Orricky has French on the back, which. I'd have to look at mine just to be certain, but I'm, I'm sure it does. Seb says Lindros was dominant, but not as much than as Scott Stevens' shoulder. Yeah, Scott Stevens was a was a tough player for uh, all time all time defenseman for the New Jersey Devils. Right there, Tdos says the '72 Stanley Cup card is sick. 60 years of history on the back, just amazing. Yeah, there have been you no know, the first Stanley Cup card wasn't that pro set hologram, but there there were Stanley Cup cards before that as well. Uh, Ben Diamond says per Beckett. I don't know what that's in relation to Ben, but sorry. Bobby says top. Okay, here we go. He's explaining tops owned the license. Although many think Opeachy was just a steward for tops. Opeachy ran their own show and paid tops a percentage. Interesting. Thank you, Bobby. Ben Diamond says to enter test cards, small releases distributed to a limited market in a way that would allow the company to gauge projected success of national distribution. I mean, that makes perfect sense that that's why they would do test cards. So that then implies that the 65s and the 64 tops cards were not nationally distributed. Were they distributed in Canada? They must have been distributed in Canada, but were they also? So maybe tops was making the cards for the for, for Canada. That must be what it was. It has to be, I would think. Same with, but I don't know. What about 54 tops? I mean, 54 tops. You had 54, you had, I don't think you have 55 tops, do you? You have 54, 57, 58. You have the, yeah. Interesting. Got to, got to learn the history of that. Dave Kaplan says the 1990 Pro Set Stanley Cup hologram still in demand card. Junk wax all the way, but people still want this card and count me among them. I, I love that card. That card to me is like a symbol of the, it's the first, I say this a lot and I know the vintage guys will disagree, but go with me anyway it's the first like I'll, here's how i'll distinguish it's the first modern insert i mean the, 
Topps and Opeach were putting inserts in their packs, whether they were stickers or or perforated rings that you could unperforate and wrap around your finger or or uh, stamp cards, all sorts of different things were going in. It's like inserts, but the first chase insert for me that was really hard to get was the Stanley Cup hologram and pro set. I, I find it interesting regarding that um, the hologram. It's it's such a cool looking card. I've seen. I don't own one. I've seen uh, yours at your booth. I've seen others in the past. Um, always like debated on getting one or not, but uh, very difficult to 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 get a high grade on it. Very uh, grade depending. I think what is it eight eight and a half? I think is maybe the highest. I think. Yeah. And. I find it I find it really interesting because um, one of the cards that picture uh, a uh, a Stanley Cup uh, that I really enjoy it's it's very just straightforward right out there got a it's got a little diamond on there it's from National Treasures and it's like a I guess like it's like a little Easter egg I guess and uh, there's like maybe maybe fifteen cards. But I think they have uh, two variants. Is it is it just the one variant or is there two variants? Well, there's the, so 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 just to clarify, oh, one of one, one of one, and then out of five, and then yeah. out of is there an out of ten or fifteen? No, that's it, right? Okay. I don't think so. so, I, don't, so I don't think so. So so there's only six. So there's only six of those that you could potentially get, which is pretty cool. And if you, I don't if anyone's ever seen one, but I've seen one of them, and and it's a really gorgeous card. Yeah, I had I had one of the five. Um, I actually recently decided that I didn't need it anymore, and I, I did sell it. Um, I think I saw someone on Instagram show it. And I thought I think was that my card, but um, yeah, that's from the 2013 Panini National Treasures. One of their uh, I forget what they call that set, but yeah, it has a little diamond in the card, and it, it's pretty cool. But I'm I'm okay I'm I'm okay with sticking with my 1990 Pro set numbered out of five thousand. That feels like. It almost it feels like there's only five of them out there, but they oh, yeah, come out. You, know, you can you can find them. You can find those cards, but it's it's very hard to find one in in, in high condition. You're right. There's out of the five thousand that were printed, some of them say out of ten thousand on the back. I believe those to be errors. But there's one PSA eight point five. There's four PSA eights, and that's it. I have one of the four PSA eights, and I cherish the card. I know who has the PSA eight point five, and he's assured me. He is never selling the card. And I know somebody who really wanted it. So I know both people. And I tried, I, 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 the one guy said, I said, I know who has it. But so I reached out to the guy who has it. And he's like, you couldn't offer me enough money. It's not going anywhere. So that's it. The PSA 8 is the best card you can get for that one. That's like out there in, in the float, if it even is. Mine's locked away. So there is one on, there is one on eBay right now. I think, I think he's asking about $10,000 for it. T-Dot says the 72 Stanley Cup Opeachy and Tops differ as the Opeachy version has an apostrophe Y. Okay, thanks, T-Dot. Very minor difference that that, uh, that uh, wouldn't really be, I don't, it's probably not very noticeable. Colin says after 72, 73, the cards were mass produced. So lots, losses the vintage, lo- loses the vintage luster as they are very easy to obtain. Okay, but what yeah, so that that's a that's a change, right? That's a that's a change in 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 the company's business strategy and and the marketing and the distribution and maybe the collectability. For me though, for me and just for me, I need more than just the print run to change. Just for me. 
because the stock is the same. The, 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 like the, the, nothing else really changed. There's still gum. There's still wax wrappers. Um, so I hear you. That, that's, that's a, it's me, you know, that was probably a great reason for a long time. To me, it's to me personally, not a great reason anymore, but I get it. And for a vintage dealer like Colin, that's your sweet spot. So run with it as, as you do, as you do. T-Dot calls out the Vince Lombardi trophy hologram as well, which was in the process football. Ben Diamond says there was a good article about them on Beckett. I just copied and pasted that little bit. Thank you, Ben. It's called The Brief History of Topps Test Cards. Very, very, very interesting. And I'm sure a lot of people will, will go read that after this. Nick Martelli says those Panini hockey cards were wild, made some very awesome cards during their short run. It sure, sure did. They made some beautiful hockey cards while they were around. What's up, curmudgeon? Good to see you. Skeppy says, I wonder if hockey cards would be what they are today had there not been so many great players between 89 and 93. I wonder. I want, I mean, because you think about this though, Skeppy, think about the era from between what 98 to 2002. Not many great players in those years. I, I like there's very few, especially 99, 0-0, Not a lot of great players there. I mean, oh one's got Datsuk, who's still, you know, still worthy of, of mention. Oh, oh. I don't can't think of anybody anymore. You had Gabrick and Havlat for a long time. 99, there's nobody that I can think of. And then and then before that, you're into the Sedines, so you're getting to something. But so you kind of had that era where there was nobody and hockey cards are still something today. So I think the answer is yes. They they would still be what they are today. I believe so. Nick Martelli says the early 90s had some really awesome hollow cards but they were tough to grade. They would come with plenty of surface. Yeah, I think he's talking a lot about the, the holograms, that, like the more common holograms that came out in those early upper deck packs. Okay, Bobby Burrell says the 66-67 tops test is not a typical test. The distribution of hockey for tops was eminent as they believe they could now make money in the marketplace. Okay, good to know. Colin says kind of turns to junk wax. He's talking about after 72. Uh, no one asked for it at the show. The 70s in hockey cards, I mean, after the 71 set, they go downhill. The 72 set is like the ugliest set ever made, in my opinion. And there's no rookie cards outside of Morris Lukowicz, who no one knows of except me because I grew up in Winnipeg. There's there's like the 72 set is terrible. The 73 set is pretty ugly. But at least it has like a Billy Smith rookie and a Larry Robinson. You got Bill Barber in there, uh, a couple others. So, but still not the nicest set. 74. 74 is an awesome set, actually. You know, looking back, tons of great rookies in there. 75's got Clark Gillies. I really like the 75 set. It's grown on me. The design isn't anything special, but it's grown on me. 76 has what? Trottier. That's about it. 77 doesn't have much. 78's got Mike Bossy, Dave Taylor. Bernie Federko, Doug Wilson are the rookies there. Anyway, um, so yeah, the 70s was kind of a slower period, yet they produced a ton of cards, according to, to Colin and others, I'm sure. TDOT says, the 69 cup card is also amazing. as pictures or his jersey. Nick Martelli says, if there's no bird or magic or even Jordan, where would basketball be? I think that's a, a, a much more astute comment than, you know, the hockey one. Nothing against the comment, but, you know, where would it be if not for magic? and Larry, and then Michael Jordan to kind of come in a few years later and 
you know, just em- just more with more emphasis on how basketball could be so entertaining. So yeah, great comment there. Rubberside Down says, would love to own some of those junk wax hockey era star. And you can, you can own them. Go into Com C, you'll find them all on there. <laughs> and you'll have your choice of 350 of them. So go, 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 go find them. David Ventura, welcome to the show, says, do you think Upper Deck will lose their hockey license or have a shared license with another company? I don't. I do not think so. And that just comes from my discussions with people at Upper Deck who express with extreme confidence that uh, they've got the license locked down for a long time. Chris Flay says, why do you think Tops went with the size change for the tall boys just copying their baseball and basketball cards? No, I, I I don't think so. I think basketball tall boys came out after the baseball, after the hockey. Sorry, hockey came out in 64. Basketball came out for the first time, I believe, year a few years later. So I think that kind of eliminates that option. I think, honestly, Chris, I think they were experimenting and just trying different things and trying maybe trying to stimulate the market a little bit. That's the only reason I can think of. Um, Ralph, do you have you have any are you familiar with the 64 hockey tall boys? And and the reason why you may not is because there's no key rookie card in there. Yeah, if I'm not I'm not familiar with it, but in general, I think like as um, as you were saying, I think it'd be more of on the experimental side because when when you really think about it, everyone everyone's used to penny penny sleeving their card, putting in a top loader. Let's just say, but at that time you weren't really doing that, right? There so, were no penny sleeves so, back yeah, then. Yeah, I know, I know. So, so what I'm saying is, you'll have that top loader. He's like, man, this thing's freaking twice the size of my regular card. He's like, where am I going to put this thing, <laughs> right? <laughs> so probably got a lot of backlash. I'm like, okay, well, we're not going to do that again, right? Exactly. That's just, that's just my thought. Yeah, no, that's, you, like, you... that's like with the basketball Alcindor rookie is the same thing. Same but thing. Then... We made it. But then in 76 in basketball, they come out with these huge, yeah, these they, huge basketball yeah, cards. Yeah, those, those were massive. But maybe maybe that's because basketball was like a, a dead sport at the time. They were seeing, well, it's maybe it's like, okay, basketball players are, are all six and a half feet tall. Maybe we'll make the cards proportionate to the players relative to the other sports. I don't know. That's the only thing that comes to mind because obviously they tried it in hockey in 64 and they immediately went back the next year, which the 65 sets of a great hockey set. Um, they, they came back the next year to regular size basketball. The, after the El Sindor year, I think they went back to the regular size in, in 1970, yeah. 71. So I might have a year off there, but let's keep on going. We're coming to, we, we're on, we're, we're 10 minutes shy of two hours, Ralph. This has gone on. This has been a, a really fun show, but we're going to try and wrap up in about 10 minutes. So let's get through the rest of these comments. Rich says the 76-77 hockey is, in my opinion, the best looking in the 70s, and it has the Brian Trottier rookie card in it to boot. And Rich sent me, uh, uh, when I posted my my Sets 101 slide on, on the 76, he, we, we, we had a discussion in, in DM. So I'm aware of that, Rich. And, hey, not my favorite looking set of the 70s, but I, I love that it's yours. I think that's awesome. Colin Murray says 1972 is my favorite highest breakup value of any set. So he's saying when he buys a complete set and breaks it up and sells those singles, that set has the most breakup value. And it's because it's so nice. You've got a nice Bobby Orr card. You got a nice Gordie Howe card. And then you've got the, the, that seven or eight, the list of seven or eight rookies that we saw earlier. Eric tells me that uh, Morris Lukowicz played for the Boston Bruins too. Very good. Card Canucks. Welcome back to the, YouTube airwaves, Charles. Good to see you. Says Gilly's rookie has to be one of the most underrated, super hard to find, in good shape due 
to the paper stock, one of the best leaders in NHL history. Clark Gillies, one of the, a member of the New York Islanders dynasty from like 77 to 81 or so. Maybe it was a bit, maybe it was 79 to 83. And uh, with, with Mike Bossy and Billy Smith and Brian Trottier and Nystrom and all these guys. Um, yeah, I love the Clark Gillies rookie. I have a nice copy that I, I love it. Rich says, I agree. There's only one Gillies in PSA 10, almost nothing in the BVG database. Brendan Ryan, welcome, says, I was approached on Instagram today about a database for that Stanley Cup hologram. Didn't know there isn't a 10 yet. Mine hasn't seen the light of day in years and is high grade to be continued. Well, Brendan, as I mentioned earlier, there's one eight. There's no not. Not only are there no tens, there's no nines yeah, either. No nines either. So there's one eight point five and four eights. Uh, Get Twifty here says Upper Deck resigned. Oh, Upper Deck resigned back with the NHL for more for more years after Fanatics went after basketball. Yeah, they uh, Upper Deck announced that we we had on Jason Moshera, the president of our Upper Deck, on the show here about a year ago. And uh, he came on after they made that deal, and we talked all about it. But he wouldn't tell us the terms of the deal. But Jade, you know, we've had all we've had all the we've had all the senior executives of Upper Deck on this show, and um, they all they won't tell us how long that deal is, but they're very confident that, that they've got that deal done for the foreseeable future. Dave Kaplan says, "I think the tall boys were a little bendy for people's liking. That makes sense to me." Colin Murray says, "65 tops baseball were great tall boys." Namath, oh yeah, Namath, of course, of course, the the Joe Namath rookie. I keep my tall boy cards that are all in PSA slabs in their own separate sort of place in my collection, and uh, and I, I like they don't fit in my graded card boxes, so they sit out by themselves. And I actually pick probably pick them up and look at them more than other cards. Barry Ma says the I love the 0102 Tops Archives hockey product. Sad it was only one year. Love the rookie card reprints and the rookie card reprints autos so i'm with you barry but what i liked more was the tops heritage and i happen to have an eric lindros this is the i think they called it the retrofractor this is numbered on the back out of 667 and uh so i love tops heritage when it came out in 01 001 and 02 for three years so sorry barry it's a different set but these came out with gum in them in the 2000s but the gum was wrapped in cellophane. It was a it was a square, not a not a stick like the old days. But I collected the these sets of the of the refractors, and um, this is the last card I needed for the whole for the whole set of I think this is the O2 set, I believe. Yeah, this is the no, this is the O1 set. I needed I needed the last card I needed was this Eric Lindros. So, but I had forgot that I bought one before and I bought it again. I didn't cross it off my want. I forgot to cross it off my want list. So I went and bought it again. And then, and now, and now it's come and I have it now. This is a, this is an extra that's going to go into my trader box, but um, funny that, that you mentioned that. And I have one on my desk. Bobby Burrell says the 1966 test set was released in 1967, maybe as late as September. So I don't believe it was a test, just low production for the first time out and weren't quite prepared. So, I mean, that, that's such a nuance there, right, Bobby? Because they look the same as the, as what we call the '66 top set, so it'd be awkward to to rename it as '67. Yet, and going back to what I said before, I care more about what year the set represents versus when it came out. So, to me, it's a '66 set. I'm not saying the Bobby is saying it's a '67, but to me, it's a '66 set. But I'm interested to what what's interesting in this comment is that you know 
a low production for the first time and they weren't quite prepared. I think that's the interesting piece there. TDOT says there is high premium on the Henderson rookie card. That's from the Paul Henderson from the 1965 top set because he scored a big goal in the 72 Summit Series for Team Canada against the USSR. Chris Flace asks, were the vintage Parker's hockey cards with the Greenbacks a regional release only? So I think he's talking here about the 1955 um, Quaker Oats cards. So here we have like a parallel set to the 55 Parker's. You have the, the key card in that set being the Jacques Plante rookie, one of my favorite vintage hockey. It's talk about a beautiful card. 55 Parker's Jacques Plante. That should be like on everyone's want list if you if you collect vintage hockey Hall of Fame rookies. But I don't know much about that. Bobby's the best one. Maybe Colin are the best guys to answer that, Chris. But what I can tell you, all I can tell you is that it's the Quaker Oats set. The regular version has a red back. I prefer the red back. I think it looks nicer. It's the same thing for me. I don't care about the Quaker Oats set. I don't want the Quaker Oats set. I want the, I want. I don't want the cards that came out with oatmeal. I want the cards that came out with gum. That's what I. That's what I collect. The gum cards from that era. If there was gum, I want the gum card. So, but um, I don't know if it was a regional release only. Charles says, "Don't forget the WHA series in seventy two, seventy three with the Bobby Hall Cheevers Pinder Super Tough. Yeah, and those looked. They looked like the seventy two. Opeachy and tops cards but they had a lighter a lighter beige border i believe okay we're gonna wrap up here guys bobby burrell says the test issue was a cello wrapper quality product and not an investment for a test issue well, i love how bobby's piecemealing these little bits of trivia about the the test issue bobby thank you so much martelli says it would be awesome to see tops heritage style sets but from Opeachy would be really cool and nostalgic preaching to the choir nick like i would I don't collect any set anymore, any base set. I don't put together Upper Deck Series 1 and Series 2. I don't put together SP Authentic or, or Opeachy Platinum base sets. I don't, that's just not for me anymore. I'm not into binder sets anymore. So, but the exception would be Tops Heritage or Opeachy Heritage. If they used the same font and they did these nice refractor type parallels, <clears throat> talk to me, talk to me. Colin does say that WHA from 72 are easier to find than certain cards in the set. T-Dot says the Jacques Plante rookie is such an iconic card as well. Yeah, I mean, I could sit here and talk about that card forever. I absolutely love it. I love, I love, love the Jacques Plante rookie. It's a horizontal. He's in an amazing action pose. I gotta, I'm going to just pull it up to show you guys. I'll pull up uh, my copy on my phone here really quickly and uh, put it into the camera so you guys can see why I love this card so much. And I have to think that most of you, if not everybody, will agree. But look at this beautiful card. I mean, look at that. Come on. Super sharp. Super sharp. And it, the condition is obviously toughest along the red border because that red border is often going to show some white. You know, the centering is really tough on this card. Really tough. So... But, I mean, come on. Look how gorgeous that is. 1955 Parkhurst, Jacques Plante. Check it out if you're listening on podcast. Ben Diamond, so funny. The, the, the Jags won tonight. Sucks for Herbert Investors. They came back and won. When I saw the score, it was 24 nothing for the, for the Chargers. Wow. Wow. Okay, I'm blown away. Holy crap. Okay. Chris Flay says, isn't it ironic that two of the greatest players ever, Orr and Gretzky, both have colored borders? Yeah, that is kind of cool. Yeah, T-Dot likes the Jacques Plante. Must own one. 
31 to 30, the final score in the football game. Okay, guys, we're at the two hour mark. We're going to wrap it up really quick. Ralph, thank you for, for coming on last minute, buddy. I appreciate it. It's good to have a good friend on with me uh, when, when I needed uh, a quick replacement. So thank you for joining. I hope you had fun, man. I know I did most of the talking, but I hope you had fun. Oh, I did. That was awesome. Learn, learn some new things that I, I never knew, right? So that's what makes uh, the experience here at Sports Cars Live. That's what makes it. That's what makes it what it is. Exactly. T-Dot, thank you so much. Uh, upcoming shows, guys, I'll let you know. Next weekend, we have uh, Becca Davis, a female collector. She has an amazing collection, uh, cl- like a whole bunch of things in, in, her, in her collection. We'll learn all about it uh, when she joins us here next Saturday. That's January the 21st, January the 28th. Sasha Parfenov, uh, Sasha, Sasha T, I think, or not Sasha, not Sasha T from LA, the younger guy, Sasha P, Sasha P cards on Instagram. He's got an amazing collection. Uh, it's going to be a nice collector type episode. He's going to come on February 4th. Cousins Oz and Tony had me on their show a few weeks ago. Great guys off, off the East Coast in the Philadelphia area. Um, awesome dudes. They're going to be on with, with us on the 28th. And then, or what did I say? Sorry, February 4th. And then on February 11th, I will be at the Burbank show in California. So no show on the 11th. Um, what else can I let you know as we, as we depart? If you want to follow Ralph on Instagram at wraparoundcards, of course, I'm at Lee underscore sports cards live. Collectible live will be on Tuesday at 7 o'clock Eastern this week. So feel free to join us then with Ezra Levine, CEO of Collectible, who will talk about their new uh, their new sales strategy, or their, 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 yeah, I guess you could call it, with the bids wanted and competition uh, that they're bringing out. So that should be a lot of fun. Check that out. Appreciate that, Chris. Thank you so much. Nick Martelli, thank you so much. Appreciate the comment. Uh, Eric, thanks a lot, buddy. I need, oh, it says Becca is the best. So yeah, Becca, Becca is well known in the hobby, especially via Clubhouse, and she does card shows. So a lot of people know her. Bobby Burrell, final comments says 55 Quaker Oats were across Canada. Insert in cereal, a contest-based set for a bicycle made out of Peterborough, Ontario, although most of the bicycles won, but were won by Peterborough residents. <laughs> won by Peterborough are wet residents. Oh, good stuff. All right. Thanks, Bobby. That's it, guys. Thank you again, Ralph. Thank you for the great uh, for the great engagement, everybody in the chat. Really enjoyed this one tonight. And with that, this episode is over. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.